0: So Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest today is Joy Beckerman, the principal at Hemp Ace International. Joy has been a leader in the hemp industry for decades. After opening her first hemp store in the state of New York in the early 90s, she served as secretary to the Vermont Hemp Council upon passage of the inaugural Vermont Hemp Bill in 96. Today, she is the principal at Hemp Ace International, a Seattle based consulting, legal support, and expert witness firm serving the global community. She's co founder and senior advisor to Colorado Hemp Works, America's first post prohibition hemp grain processing facility, and the host of a popular podcast, Hemp Barons, right here on MJ Bulls Network. Joy, it is such an honor to have you as my guest today. Thank you so much. And thank you right back, Miss Kira. So you have a very long history with hemp. And long before there was even a viable hemp industry, when it was still like a fringe idea. How did you find yourself opening a hemp store in the 90s? And then what led you to becoming the hemp powerhouse that you are today? Wow. Uh,
1: You know... The book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which is, you know, the Bible or really the cornerstone and lightning rod of of the cannabis movements, and particularly hemp, was written by Jack Harer. I believe uh, an edition, I got an edition in 1990, uh, 88, I believe is when it came out. And it was edited by who is still with us, because Jack Herrer, may he rest in peace, Chris Conrad, a prolific uh, cannabis activist in, in all of its forms. Um, And that book really changed my life. It affected me on a cellular level, is all I can say. I received actually a flyer of excerpts from that book at a Grateful Dead show in the spring of 1990 in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it resonated with me on a a tremendous level. I began to explore the book, and it it really altered the trajectory of my life, such that by the time... um, I started to be a mom and uh, settled down. I decided I wanted to get involved with hemp. And so we did have some wonderful pioneers at the beginning, um, delivering on the promise uh, in creating this industry of Don Workshafter from the Ohio Hempery, who brought in the first bolts of fabric. And and actually, he had even imported uh, sterilized hemp seeds from Inner Mongolia and bought a tabletop seed press and press that first hemp seed oil so that the first hemp seed oil lip balms could be made. Uh, And then, of course, the textiles. China is certainly far ahead of everyone in textiles. And so we have companies that were making T-shirts, baseball hats, uh, tote bags, fanny packs, And lots of jewelry. So we had some items back then and and some food items and some cosmetic items made with hemp seed oil. And one was actually able to uh, start a store and and stack those shelves. Uh, The issue is in being too early, of course, is that folks weren't exactly ready um, to spend $40 on a pair of hemp socks. Uh, which is what the, the, it was at the time, you know, so but lots of lots of education, many, many pioneers um that lost their shirts, following their passion and wanting to help create the industry in the nineties
0: and how did you end up sticking around long enough to help usher in the industry that we have today? Thank
1: you for asking that question um again, uh it is such a purpose driven aspect of my life, this plant, this cannabis plant. And and I, of course, do believe and many ethnobotanists believe that cannabis certainly does have a unique relationship with the human body. We have an endocannabinoid system, for goodness sake, you know, discovered in our lifetimes. And it's sort of like discovering that the the world is round and not flat. So that's That passion that was lit in me and that purpose, that drive, absolutely never left. So even though the store eventually went out of business, um, and and us hamsters weren't necessarily, particularly when we were 24, great business people, (laughs) um, and my children started to get a little older. I have 28 and 26-year-old, both of them going through master's programs now. They're named Phoenix Rising and Spiral Walking in Balance are their names. (laughs) Gorgeous boys. Uh, But I needed to make some more money so that I could, you know, get them into football camp and make sure that our quality of life was uh, up to snuff the way that I wanted to raise them. So I had gone to school. I was raised by an attorney um, and had gone to school for paralegal studies and then majoring in English. And so I moved to Seattle and began a dual career in hemp and compliance and complex civil litigation and then eventually became a senior paralegal multiple high-profile, multimillion-dollar cases, et cetera, and so was able to use that legal knowledge, regulatory and legal knowledge, and learning, of course, about these systems on local, state, uh, and federal levels to apply that to the hemp movement and to continue to move forward contributing and bringing uh, the law and
0: policy that we see today forward. Did you ever believe that we would be where we are today?
1: I love that question, Kira, because it's, you know, it's undecidedly no. On the one hand, you've got this vision. I have this vision of, you know, hemp would be growing everywhere and there would be hemp growers (laughs) and and there wouldn't be all of this confusion around what hemp is. But I never knew to dream as big as we have already manifested. And my larger lesson to, to everybody, to women, to men, to every gender in between Um, And certainly to students, when I get to address them is do not ever truncate your dreams. Dream big, dream bigger, because it is endless and exponential what we can accomplish together. So really, in all forms of cannabis, sister, um, I never would have dreamed this because I didn't know enough to dream it. And I didn't know enough about the nuts and the bolts and and the chopping of the wood and, and the carrying of the water at the time. But man, when people come together, we change the whole world.
0: It's true. It's a, a lot of work that seems like it doesn't create any change. And then almost overnight, boom, there it is. My husband was working on the hemp side for the last few years, and it has been really extraordinary to be able to drive up and down the interstate in California and see massive hemp fields. And he and I actually went on a really cool little, we we bought a travel trailer and went on um, a Western States tour of hemp farms. And it was amazing to me how many women farmers there were. And, you know, going out there, of course, my husband comes from an agriculture background and he said, you know they're not going to have any big farms you know i i that's great that's so cute and and yet the the people that actually produced for him and made those meetings uh, meaningful were all women and those were the ones who really had the most incredible farms and the passion and the intelligence that they used in laying out their farms and protecting their farms we went to see one woman in nevada Who had been surrounded by fire. And so they, you know, they had the way that they had protected their field. It was just, it was extraordinary because it it was, I saw this kind of coming together of this dream that a lot of women have had to be able to get close to the earth again in what they do. But I just, I didn't realize so many women would become hemp farmers. Why do you think so many women are becoming hemp farmers and why they're doing such a superior job with their farm?
1: You know, that is also a great question. And I think this opportunity resonates with everyone. Again, the way it did with me on such deep levels, I I think that it's the the light encoded filaments of our DNA that sort of spark up and and become illuminated and we hear the call. So uh, all I can say is that This opportunity has been a tremendous calling to every walk of life and particularly to women. And it seems like this is the jumping off point or the unique place or the place to start to rise above these limited ideas that we have about ourselves, these limited ideas about what we need to do to earn a living or to gain some type of acceptance um, in society or respect and throw it all away and say, no, I am going for it. It's, it's, this is my life and I am moving forward with a vision and a dream uh, and people are doing it. And certainly women are doing it. And, you know, it's amazing that of course women have always been a part of the farm. Now, I guess traditionally there have perhaps in the past been some division of labor obviously uh, amongst there, but it is certainly an unspoken thing just how many uh, women farmers there are out there. And indeed, Having said that, we have folks and and women who have never been involved in any type of agriculture that have decided this is the time for them. And, you know, it's just a perfect harmonic convergence of where people are at in their life, where they're at in their own self-realization, and where we're at with law, policy, and delivering on this promise.
0: I had a really great interview with Sister Kate from Sisters of the Valley uh, about a week ago. And yesterday or before, I spoke with Frannie Tracy of Frannie's Farm. And I know you are familiar with both of those women and what they are doing. I found it very interesting how they are both creating business models that are centered in, in empowering others and most especially their interest is women. I know that Frannie is really interested in bringing more women on into the business model, but that really is the focus for the Sisters of the Valley And sister Kate said it's all about commerce and getting women in a position where they can actually have commerce, where they can have equity in something. So I'm sure looking at the hemp world, the evolution in the future, we probably see a lot of corporate takeover. And I'm I'm curious what your your what you're seeing, what your vision is, what your ideas are about how women who are taking these farms, how can we Retain our power. How can we retain that access to commerce as we're an industry that we're building, but will soon be taken over by co- the corporate greed and the corporate model?
1: Well, as I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with me. I would never speak for you, Miss Kira, but you know, cannabis is here to heal the world. It is not the solution. It is a pathway. It is a part of that solution, but it is here to bring people together. It is here to synthesize and it, and it is here to teach us how to cooperate. And with that, it's co-ops. If we're talking particularly about farming especially, it are, it is going to be co-ops that allow American farmers and women farmers in tremendous numbers to really be able to take advantage of these opportunities. Um, agriculture cooperatives are nothing new but hemp i believe is going to really take it to the next level harvesting equipment is very expensive processing equipment is very expensive you want to be able to get on deals for insurance and other things because you're buying in bulk or you're buying as a group um and uh, i often i always give him credit for it uh, bob Hovind, one of my favorite hempsters who coined that term coopetition um and that's mm-hmm. What we really need to be to start looking at ourselves as, particularly as women, is you're not my competition, you're my coopetition, and we can work together and both succeed. And all of us can succeed in, in a far greater manner if we work together and share the load. And that's not, again, this is not a new concept or a, or a wacky, hokey idea, This is how agriculture works. And I believe that hemp will take it to the next level. And that's what will allow uh, folks to not be uh, taken over. Now, the other piece, and this is the very practical piece as well, is um, making sure that you crawl before you walk and making sure that you walk before you run. So bad decisions, um, uninformed decisions oversimplifying things that actually have some complexities they will lead to to failure and they will lead to a lack of success so it's getting that great information it's it's and it's definitely making decisions slowly and and on a well-informed basis that's key that's key for any aspect of this these industries oil seed fiber extract all of it
0: And what do you think comes next? You know, on the West Coast, we're very dominated by uh, smokable flour and CBD. So, you know, the idea of doing any kind of fiber or food, anything like that is pushed to the side because it's not as lucrative of a crop. So where do you see the future of hemp going from today?
1: So I, I don't believe that the idea that hemp extract is is such a wildly lucrative crop um, is a sustainable perception or idea, um, particularly given uh, other countries that are bringing the prices way, way down. Um, you know, India is about to get isolate down to a penny a milligram uh-huh. for CBD. And it is also um, not a sustainable idea economically or environmentally to just be using the flowering tops and the leaves of this plant. So Having said that, we do not want farmers growing crops that they can't sell or that they can't harvest or process. And so what we have right now is is an infrastructure to process extract varieties of hemp into extracts. What we have very little of right now in the United States is the infrastructure to process that long, strong fiber. And um, we're just starting to build that processing and infrastructure for that nutrient-dense grain um and of course we've got at Colorado Hemp Works I'm I'm a proud uh, founder and co-owner of of our nations as you mentioned first post prohibition um, hemp grain processing facility and there are a couple of others and ultimately we will want to see processing facilities for all these parts of the plant and it, it may become regional of course where some regions might say we're really fiber we're really oilseed and then both um, but within 50 to 100 square miles of every hemp biomass feedstock so We hope that farmers are not growing gigantic amounts for, for fiber right now because we want farmers, the most important part of the supply chain is for us to ensure that the farmers are achieving success here and we don't want them to grow crop they can't sell. Having said that one foot in front of the other, working in tandem, that infrastructure is growing. And so when I when I speak to farmers, I say, for goodness sake, if if you are going to believe that the magic beans that you've been sold um, are indeed going to get you fifty thousand dollars an acre. I beg of thee to take some of your land and also do variety trials on fiber and oil seed varieties so that you're ready to pivot when the infrastructure comes to a town near you or, you know, a a county near you in any event, because the trillion dollar industry, sister, are actually in the oil seed and fiber. And as folks often hear on my show, it's the laundry list of awesome, that is hemp, (laughs) and that is Human and animal nutrition, human and animal body care, nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals, paper, textiles, building materials, industrial sealants and coatings, biocomposites, energy, fuel, batteries, nanotechnology. Somebody stop me. But it was really only in that nutraceutical, pharmaceutical piece of that gigantic spectrum of industries that serve all of humanity's and the animal's needs that come from extract varieties. So we really want, um, and, and the other piece of that is, and I've got to come up with a better example, but you wouldn't want a chicken farmer, I beg your forgiveness, vegans and vegetarians, to say, hey, you know, I'm going to pick the bones but I'm going to throw all the rest away, the feathers, the breast, the legs, who needs all that? I just grew the chicken for the bones. Um, We don't do that with hemp. We we really want whole crop utilization. And we want to be able to use that stock along with the the grain to the extent we can keep in mind that a a tri-crop is almost impossible because uh, the fiber is going to mature faster than than the actual seeds. So, but in any event, we, we really want folks to get prepared, um, farmers to be prepared for that incoming infrastructure and recognize that once we and we're working, of course, simultaneously with existing industries to inspire them to start to incorporate hemp into their various offerings for all of those various industries that I had Um, mentioned, because once those demands really start to come, this is going to be a crop that is going to feed that farmer's family and give them security and the success that they're looking for. And it will be in fiber and and oil seeds. So we really just need to to look forward, um, see forward, and also model other countries that have a lot more experience than we do in this. And I would particularly look to Europe for that, which uses their same varieties that they are harvesting for fiber. They have these double cut combines where they'll take eight inches off the top to cut that stock so they've got that beautiful stock and be able to process that fiber for building materials and non-wovens, et cetera, and biocomposites. But then they have a second cutter on that combine that strips the flowers off the top. Now, granted, wow. Those- are only 3 to 4% cbd but because they have an industry for that fiber it is a secondary income it is a co-product so instead of making it the primary thing and throwing away all the rest of the parts of the chicken for a short term not sustainable business model they you know that's that's the model to follow is really getting involved in all of it
0: Joy, you are a prolific speaker, and I took a look at your speaking calendar, and I mean, I thought my calendar for speaking was intense, but it reminds me of another powerhouse in hemp, Cheryl Murray Powell, who also is an incredibly passionate advocate, and she last year pre-COVID had committed to always saying yes because she had a mission and anyone who had put her on stage, she was going to share her mission. What is your mission? What is the message that you want to convey every time that you're on stage about hemp?
1: Well, first got to say, man, Cheryl Murray Powell is a sister from another mister. I mean, I, words don't actually describe uh, the level of reverence that I have for her. Um, she's just amazing. Ditto. Yeah. God. Uh, the the largest message is engage in the process, number one, because I'm an advocate, number one, and it is people power and people using their voices and empowering people to use their voices. It's amazing that not everyone really understands that it isn't just a concept or a bumper sticker from a Gandhi quote. If the people lead, the leaders will follow and we're watching it. So really empowering people to understand that their elected officials work for them um, and their hired officials also work for them them and that engaging in the process is everything. So that's always number one. But simultaneously, I want to always leave people feeling so inspired by what hemp is, what it can do, what it can be, and to give them hope, but realistic, science-driven, data-driven hope that working together we can heal this whole world and that hemp is a big part of it.
0: So what would you say to women who want to find a way into the industry but don't really know how their skills can be applied, what the opportunities are or what the future holds. What would you say to them? What are some of the opportunities that they might consider that they may not have thought about before?
1: The first thing I'll say and it kind of always goes back to that crawl don't walk, walk don't run, you know, before you you move into those things and that is hemp is such a huge world as I hope I've managed to somehow demonstrate with that long list that folks may get inspired by the first thing they learn about only to understand that three weeks, three months, or a year later, there's so many options for them to choose from. So choosing too quickly um, is one thing to not do um, as they move forward. But I, I get this question a lot and it's the same answer really for everybody. And that is if you wanted to be a mechanic You would go to vocational school or or trade school. If you want to be a doctor, you'd go to medical school. Folks need to be educated in hemp, and, and I know that my own self i 'm not interested in hiring anybody who hasn't who who comes to me with all of their enthusiasm and oh, I love the enthusiasm but hasn 't actually put any skin in the game so i 'm really excited about hemp, and I want to work in hemp, but i haven 't taken a class or gone to a seminar, and it 's just not impressive, and it 's not not going to be the greatest asset or value uh, to a company. If, if you haven't invested at all in one's education, and I don't mean getting a bachelor's or a master's in hemp, they're barely a- able to find right now. Having said that, there are courses to take, there are seminars to take. Um, I was very blessed to be able to participate in Oregon State Universities. Um, they were the first ones in the world Uh, to create these these classes. Um, And it was an 11-week course. The main uh, instructor is a mentor of mine, Andrea Herman. Um, and, uh, And it went through 11 weeks of all these different aspects of hemp, including marketing and legal issues, but every part of the industry and processing, just fantastic. And so that's what I would say, number one, is Invest in some education. It doesn't need to be super duper formal, but invest in education so that that can go on the old CV or the resume proving that you've got some skin in the game and you really mean it. You're not just excited and enthusiastic. This is an area and an industry that you want to break into that's really impressive stuff. And again, making sure that we're making a a good decision or get involved with some temp work. There are certain hemp employment agencies out there. I, I don't know the names of any of them. And it's possibly because I have a very strong labor and employment law background. Um, and, And labor employment law is highly regulated and there are all kinds of bells and whistles and guardrails around it. And I've had such weird experiences that when I open up the hood of some of the cannabis employment agencies that I'm just a little trepidatious, but Certainly kicking tires there um, and seeing if there were some temporary jobs. No matter what industry you're in, I'm always a fan of taking temp work before permanent work. Because, again, we don't want to find ourselves stuck anywhere and make a spotty resume. We want to make a well-informed decision.
0: Where do you recommend women go for the education? Are there some resources you can recommend?
1: Absolutely. It it depends on the different industries, but I would first check Oregon State University. Uh, Cornell University has tremendous amount of education. And right now, actually, um, there is a a several part series that they're doing for $200 um, for hemp farming production. So for hemp production, uh, University of Kentucky, Colorado State University. Again, Looking at their offerings through their ag extension offices or their College of Agriculture and Agricultural Sciences. I'm not telling people to go re-enroll and become a college student again. Understand that there's lots of continuing education opportunities available in hemp through uh, these secondary educational outlets and also Rutgers. So there are lots of uh, of folks getting involved in this, and and if I can ever stop letting my activism run over my capitalism and <laughs> be like it does, one day I'll give classes too. But uh, those are um, those are where I would send folks.
0: So joy, one of the things that I have admired most about you, as I've gotten to know you on social media, is your ability to be so incredibly positive and supportive of women in the community. And it, whenever I see those comments, it always, it always makes me smile. It's always so wonderful to see. And, and I kind of feel your optimism and your kindness. And it's, you know, let's face it, being in an industry for so long that has had so many bumpy roads, it gets really hard to keep an optimistic attitude. And so I'm curious how you came to be this way. After having ridden a train for so long in an industry that can be so harsh, and I imagine there probably weren't even that many women around in hemp in the 90s. How did you become the joy that you are today that is so incredibly supportive of other women in the industry?
1: Well, I first want to say that, you know, we are, all we are on this planet are reflections of one another, and uh and so these women and everyone, who, and I would only, there's no point in saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, number one, you, you know, everything you needed to learn about being in a movement you learned in kindergarten, but, um, uh, but our reflections of how they make me feel, how they make me see myself. They are my mirrors and, and they inspire me. And, and and it's also, I'm trying to learn how to take compliments and, and whatnot. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I'm, I'm always thinking of a million different things and usually I deflect. Um, Or I say the truth, which is thank you for for seeing yourself in me. Because ultimately, isn't really that all that is what's going on on some metaphysical level? Every reflection that you just said about me, Kira, is Kira. Now, I'm not saying it's not joy. I, I get to be that too. And I'm so glad that I get to be your mirror. But you're seeing yourself in me. And that's the role that we need to be playing in each other's lives. Now, and moving on to how how was I able to stay positive? I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here, sister, and I'm gonna say, um, lots of marijuana, man. (laughs) Smoke weed. And (laughs) (laughs) here, here. But on top of that, and by the way, I do use that word um, because I'm in hemp and it just get, and I'm, a, as you well know, a pretty OCD, legal and scientific expert. And, and marijuana is a, a word that a bunch of special interest fat white men decided to bastardize and and race make a racist term out of and so i don't like to re-racist it by telling folks that marijuana is somehow a bad word when it really is a sacred spanish word with its roots in agriculture but in any event um i think that the reality is that I just, I have always been a positive person for whatever reason, maybe I'm just blessed with it. I don't know, maybe my name was was a wonderful gift that I was given by my parents. Um, but I tend to to go with the positive sister I negativity is just a, a trap that puts a tightness and a pain in my solar plexus and and we have every reason in the world to be positive if we can train our minds to understand that what we see on these televisions and what we see um, in social media oftentimes, it's the it's, it's human condition at present, and we are evolving out of it, to glorify drama um, and to collect that drama. And I just don't choose to engage in it because it doesn't actually make the world a better place. And I only have 60 seconds in every minute and 60 minutes in every hour to make the choice of how I'm going to contribute to this world in my lifetime. And I choose to do it through positive thinking And the other thing is that when it gets more popular and gets more ratings, all we'll ever see on TV is positive stuff, um, because there's a lot more of that actually happening on a daily basis all around the world than we are being led to believe. There are acts of compassion and justice that take place all over this planet all darn day. And it is a very positive thing to be thinking about.
0: (laughs) That's so awesome. I'm so glad I asked you that. You know a lot of really incredible women in this industry. For a woman who is new to hemp, who would you recommend that they become acquainted with to follow as either a mentor, an educator, an influencer, a resource? Who are the women we really should know about in this industry?
1: And hemp, you know, my mentor is just an incredible woman. Uh, again, that's Andrea Herman. Uh, she's a Joplin, Missouri girl who went off and moved to Manitoba, Canada in 2001 and got herself the first, she actually got the country of Canada to, to bankroll or Manitoba, I should say, to bankroll her master's in hemp that she yeah. created herself. Uh,
0: so Andrea is, you know, is absolutely amazing. Joy, are there any books that we should reach for if we want to really get educated on him?
1: Wow. I mean, you know, I I really feel like everyone needs to read uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes as a foundational underpinning of, of the fact that the U.S. government, which is the global bully of prohibition, didn't want to just remove the plant from our consciousness they wanted to remove all knowledge of the plant From our consciousness And that is why growing up In those old hard copy Encyclopedia Britannicas And when you went to the And still to this day And went to the Smithsonian Still to this day, etc, cetera, etc cetera, There is no mention of hemp When we can really wrap our heads Around the tremendous uh, role that, uh, that hemp played in the United States and, and all around the world I mean, we can go from Hempstead, Long Island and and all of you know I, I have a whole list of those. but and at the same time there a lot of folks say, oh, there's stuff in the emperor wears, no clothes that you know isn't necessarily totally cited, etc. fine. That's all good and fine. We'll believe the documents. Uh, that Chris and Jack and their incredible team dug up from our national archives, multiple trips from California and Oregon to Washington, D.C. Um, and, and keep in mind, when those books first came out, the first editions of, of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, it's not like we had everyone had computers. What we had was border tape, exacto knives and Xerox machines. Um, so in any event, I think that's a foundational underpinning so that we can really understand we we don't know where we're going. We don't know our destiny unless we know our history. And so in that respect, I think it's very important. Um, I also think that there's, there is a true tri-purpose here, and that is we're introducing this promising crop. We're irresponsible if we introduce this promising sc- crop without also introducing regenerative agriculture so folks who wanted to get into the agricultural piece of it um, would, would absolutely please want to read about that but also the third piece of what we're going through right now of course is ending racism and learning about inclusivity Uh, diversity and empowering everybody and understanding that we're not going to have a healthy society and a healthy planet until everybody is included and everyone's needs are met equally. And so Farming While Black, um, I think, is an outstanding book for folks to read if they're getting into farming. And then, of course, uh, all the different industries – um, have of their own various books as well. I would say any books by Paul Benham, that's B E N H A I M. He's written several um, are fantastic, and there's all kinds of great books um, about hempcrete. Uh, the hempcrete book uh, being probably the one that is the most scientific right now. Um, so those are just some good good starters, some good foundation. Again, the emperor wears no clothes
0: is, is really the foundational piece. Joy, if listeners want to contact you or learn more about what you're doing, how can they reach you? Thank you for asking.
1: HempAce.com, the name of my firm is Hemp Ace International, uh, like the ace of spades or the ace of hemp, as it were. And so HempAce.com has all of that information.
0: Thank you. And thank you, Joy, for your time and sharing your journey with us today. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you have not yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com, and find your group. We've got one for the supply chain, one for CBD and hemp, and the recently launched Women of Color group. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, and events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. And if you're getting bored during COVID and you want to connect with other women in a virtual social, then check out House of Jane, a collaboration event between WEIC and Tokativity. We host a salon-style event the second Wednesday of each month. RSVP now at houseofjane.com and join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis.